Hey folks, thanks for joining us. Those that are joining us now live on one of our streaming platforms and thank you for the uh, ones of you that are here in the room with you. As we did last week, we're going to start off with our 21 days of prayer. I actually put this one as I was writing these 21 days of prayer, putting this together. I put this on a Wednesday night, uh, this specific prayer focus and this passage because uh, I, selfishly, I guess I wanted to be the one to talk about it as our elders have recorded other videos and uh, I wanted to be able to take two or three minutes and talk about this verse and talk about this uh, theme. So if you've already done this, you know what the verse is. Uh, if you were waiting for us to do it corporately, uh, then we'll do this together. But the uh, verse for tonight, the theme is corporate holiness that we're praying last week on one of the days, I believe it was on Monday of last week, we prayed for our own personal holiness and that the Lord would use these 21 days of prayer to sanctify uh, us as individuals. So, well, and today, as, as our theme has shifted for the, the second week of uh, this prayer focus towards praying for one another and praying for our church, we're now praying for our, the body of Christ here at Nansman River to be holy. Because holiness is both a personal endeavor, it is something that I do and that the Lord works on in my life, but it is also a corporate endeavor that we together strive towards holiness, that we together build one another up and sanctify one another, uh, encourage one another, train, teach, equip one another in our walk with the Lord. And so um, we oftentimes uh, will talk about salvation and the work of sanctification uh, only in a personal sense. That's, that's a very American way to talk about, or very Western way at least, to talk about uh, salvation is my walk with the Lord. But the Bible uses far more we and our and us language than it does me, mine, and uh, me, my, and mine language. And so uh, I, I want us to think about that tonight. And I used a, a Fairly common, a, a pretty popular scripture, one I think people often take out of context, which is why I included it on a night that I was going to get to talk about it for a minute. And it comes from Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now you notice there the corporate language that, that the Lord is instructing here. Uh, in, uh, as he makes a covenant, he reinforces the covenant with his people. Um, this is when Solomon had finished uh, building the house of the Lord in Israel. And the Lord talks about what will happen in the previous verses. He talks about what will happen when his people turn away from him, that, that they as a, as a people will be judged by God and that God will send certain things like uh, the, uh, there'll be famine, there'll be drought, there'll be locusts, there'll be pestilence. And then he talks about what happens when they repent of that turning away, right? That's what verse 14 is. And it's, it's a corporate call for prayer and repentance, a corporate humbling. humbling uh, to humble yourself is to recognize uh, your own sin. It's to recognize your own place compared to God, that you're not God, that he is, and that we would turn towards him. Now, people use this verse. I think the most common place we see people use this verse is in, uh, we'll just call it nationalism. Uh, people want to apply this to uh, their country. I, I don't know if other countries do this. I know Americans do this, and Americans do it a lot. 
you see people say this about the United States as, as if the United States is Israel. Well, uh, we're not, and that's okay. I don't want the United States to be Israel. And when I say Israel, I don't even mean Israel that exists today in the Middle East. I mean Israel of the Old Testament. Because the covenant that the people of God were under then is different than the covenant we're, we're under now is we're under a worldwide covenant of grace that is open to all people uh, from all tribes and languages uh, around the world that become a part of uh, a new people of God that is the church. And so how should we think about a verse like 2 Corinthians 7, 14, which is intended for Old Testament Israel? I mean, this is written at the dedication of the temple. This is talking about a specific people group that were under a specific covenant with God during that period of time. Well, we don't need to think of the promise, this, this covenant, covenantal promise as being a one-for-one -one correlation, certainly between Israel and our nation, because it's not. There is no correlation. And it's not even a one-for-one -one correlation between Israel, Old Testament Israel, and the New Testament church, because the New Testament church doesn't have a land, right? We, we, don't, have, we don't have a land to call our own like, like they do. We, we're under a different system than what uh, existed in the first century. However, there are some principles that the church can learn from that apply to personal holiness. And that is that we together should evaluate uh, our our, not my, but our holiness and our dedication to the Lord and ask ourselves, have we become prideful? Have we become sinful? Have we allowed idol, idols to make their way into uh, our body? Now, we can't do this for the church universal, but we can certainly do this for the church local, that this local expression of God's people here at Nansman River Baptist Church should take stock of how we have, or if we have allowed sin to find a foothold, if we've allowed sin to linger, uh, if we have allowed sin to go unconfessed uh, amongst us. And uh, if so, then we should uh, call, our, call one another towards repentance and to do that uh, corporately together. So that's what the prayer focus today is. This is not a call for national repentance in our nation, uh, if, even if such a thing would be uh, necessary or needed within uh, the, new, the new covenant and New Testament paradigm. It's not what we're thinking about today. What we're thinking about today is us, this group of people right here, and asking God to show us, Father, is there any areas of unholiness and sinfulness that we've allowed uh, to stay within our congregation, that we've allowed to coexist amongst God's holy people? And if there is, that God would forgive us of that and that we would turn from those sins corporately together. So that's, what we're, that's the ends that we're praying for today. So let's pray together along those lines. Father, I thank you for this local expression of your people that while we are one of many, thousands upon thousands of faithful, gospel-centered, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, Holy Spirit-filled churches that has existed over the last 2,000 years around the world, speaking various languages, coming in different cultures, 
uh, in different places, large and small, that we are one of those. And we recognize, Father, that we are committed as Nansman River Baptist Church to one another. And part of our commitment towards one another is towards holiness together. So we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would work in our church to reveal any areas within our congregation where we've allowed sin to fester, where we've turned a blind eye to the sins of one another, where we've uh, allowed people or even groups within our church uh, to harbor sin without calling it such. Father, would you show us those places? Would we, God, strive together towards holiness, encouraging one another, men, women, boys, and girls, all focused on Christ-likeness together? Would you give us the courage that is needed to point out sin in one another's lives, not to do so out of... um, our own personal pride in our own holiness, but out of humility and love and grace towards one another. Let us speak the truth in love, we pray. And Father, would you help us uh, as we find these areas in our church that demand repentance? Would you help us to be a repentant people that we would humble ourselves and pray and turn from any wickedness that you have revealed to us Would you, God, bring your blessing into this congregation because of our reliance upon you, we pray. Help us to be a people who are like our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that others may see our good works and glorify God in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today is our final, it's our 10th and final session in this uh, winter equip, even though it is now technically spring, our winter equips um, series on biblical worldview. I will finish this tonight. At the end tonight, particularly if you're if you're in the room with me, you're kind of a captive audience. If you're if you're with us online, whether you're watching this live or in person, I'm going to reserve the last two or three minutes for uh, me to introduce what we're going to do next. So the next couple of weeks and then uh, the series that's going to follow this one on Wednesday nights. And so I'm going to lay all of that out for us at the end today. So make sure if you're with us online uh, that once I finish this teaching session uh, that you, you hang out with us for a couple of minutes as I'm going to explain what's coming up for, uh, for Easter week, but then also for spring equip in the, in the three months ahead. So the first half of this series was really dedicated towards the idea of defining what is a worldview, what is truth, how do we interact as a as a uh, as set apart people of God with the world in which we live and our unique culture, and how do we define how do we uh, develop a biblical worldview, replacing the lenses that the world has placed in front of us with gospel lenses and biblical lenses. We looked at some big picture ideas. Some of that we return to tonight, primarily the week that we dealt with in that first half that was thinking about uh, is is does absolute truth exist? If you remember, I believe it was week three, maybe week four, we asked the question, does absolute truth exist? We're coming back to the idea of truth tonight, but really looking at our relationship to it. 
the second half of this series dealt with individual topics, last week covering two, uh, but individual topics of, um, that matter for a biblical worldview, big and small, right? And, and tried to help us think from a, from a biblical perspective as modern day Christians living in Western civilization, kind of a post, postmodern world, um, and how do we uh, need to think about these things together? And what I hope you walked away from each one of those, whether it was some of the more mundane, like family and work uh, last week, to things like LGBTQ issues uh, and uh, issues of race and other things that we discussed, is that it, it, the, there's, there's no solution that, is, that fits in you know, uh, 144, I don't think it's 144 characters on Twitter anymore. I think it's more than that now, but whatever it is, there's no solution that, that neatly packs into one tweet or one meme on Facebook or, you know, just something cute or funny that you can say that all of this requires nuance, that it all requires us to, to really think deeply, not only about what we believe and why we believe what we believe, really nailing down those boards of our worldview, making sure that, that we have a firm foundation, but then asking good questions about, well, how do we interact with our culture and how do we interact with what our world is currently saying versus what we're saying? So what I hope to have done over the last few weeks was give you really a paradigm within, within which you can then operate. And so when you are faced, because I didn't cover every subject that there is to cover, um, because we're going to, we have you know, you can only do so much, right? You got to move on to another topic. And so you can take any of those issues, any issue that may come up and plug it into that and ask questions. Say, okay, what is our world saying? What does the Bible say? How, how, what is the gospel? How does the gospel kind of come to bear in this situation? And then finally, what, what is the church's response? How, how does the church need to think about this together? So that's what we did each time. And I hope that was helpful for you. The question that we're going to ask tonight or what we're going to look at tonight is the, the Christian's relationship with truth. So we've established that truth exists. We established that weeks ago. And in establishing that absolute truth exists, then, and then it exists in scripture that, that we would say first and foremost, absolute truth exists in God himself, that in the person right within the Godhead, there is truth because this is his universe. So he is the uh, ultimate authority on what is true. And then that truth then exists in the person of Jesus Christ, the personification of God in our world, that Jesus in every word he spoke in every action that he uh, committed and even in his flesh was and is still to this day and will forever be truth. Uh, but then we also have the revealed word of God that we find truth here, but that that's not the only place that truth exists. Truth exists outside of God's word, but it is always tested against God's word. I'm just really quickly summarizing that session that we did uh, a couple of months ago, that, that we test everything, that every claim for truth outside of God's word, we test it against God's word to make sure that it is not in contradiction to it. Because if there is a truth claim in the world, and there is a truth claim within Scripture, the, a right understanding of Scripture will always win out because this is God's Word, and God is the ultimate arbiter of what is true and what is not. But today, we're going to look more at our 
our interaction with truth and not even just truth within God's word, but primarily thinking about our interaction with, with claims of truth outside of the church, outside of the sacred, more in the secular. Because I think the church is really struggling these days with knowing what is true. I don't think it's just the church that's struggling with this. I think people. Uh, we have, just to give a, a brief synopsis of how this has progressed in, in our culture. You used to, I grew up, um, I guess the early part of my childhood uh, with, with four TV channels. We had ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS. That's what we, that's what we had. Um, now, that didn't mean cable didn't exist when I was a kid. It just meant, if y'all are watching, my parents were too cheap to buy it, okay? Um, and so we didn't have it. <laughs> and um, we, we didn't have cable. Dad took the, the newspaper. And so you had the newspaper would come in, the local newspaper uh, would come and, and, and you would have TV. That, that was really the places that you got information. How many places can you get information now? I mean, literally endless. I mean, it is, it is endless, the places. And, you know, television, there, there are, and the news was on for, you know, the local news was on for 30 minutes back in that day. The local news was on for 30 minutes and then the national news was on for 30 minutes. And you kind of trusted those, those people and then, uh, and then it went on to something else that you wanted to watch. Um, but now there's multiple news channels on, on TV and, and TV's not even the primary place people are getting their news anymore. Newspaper certainly isn't. The uh, proliferation of the internet ha has made it to where there, there are literally millions of claims of truth out there. And I don't think our world has ever faced anything like this before. That we went just in really one or two generations of time, we went from having a few streams of information you know, and even if you want to think about like concrete historical facts, we went from, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> to Wikipedia, right? And, and the collective wisdom of worldwide consciousness online. And anybody can make any claim that they want to make, and it's really going untested. And even those who are testing claims of truth now are doing so maybe not... Uh, in every case, um, uh, in, in a way that, that we would say is, is independent or unbiased. And people just don't know what to think. And the result of that, one of the results of that is we've, we've found ourselves, I think this is one of the things that's, that's driving what I've referred to uh, on multiple occasions. I've even talked about this on Sunday mornings briefly in the, in the midst of sermon, as tribalism. That, that it, I'm, just, I'm just going to listen to and believe this little group of, this little circle. And we've stopped even caring if the information in this little circle is true or not. We just don't care. As long as the information's coming out of that little circle, then that, that's my group, that's my tribe. And that's become really dangerous and it's really very dangerous within the church. I think the greatest threat to the gospel witness of the American church is our relationship with truth and how we accept information, what we believe to be true, 
within the secular world and how we disseminate information. I think we are doing great damage to our gospel witness by what we believe and what we um, say, what we put out there to people, right? So I wanna ask four questions today that are gonna be helpful to us. Number one, why does it matter that Christians believe true things? So let's just go to the Bible and ask that question. Does it, it obviously matters that we believe this is true, but why does it matter if I actually believe true things? Look, and, and I think this matters, that we not only believe the sacred things that are true, but that we, to the best of our ability, believe the, the secular things that are true, that, that mathematics and science and social studies and history, that, that we try our best to believe those things that are actually true. Why does that matter? Well, those who are in Christ should strive to not believe anything that's false. Now, I know I used a negative there, but if we are going to be in Christ, we should not... We, we should not want to believe that which is false, but constantly be sharpening our minds against that which is true, both within the secular and within the sacred. In Philippians 4, 8, Paul says, finally, brothers, he gives this big list of things. The first one is whatever is true, right? Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. So in each one of those, we can actually remove all of the others and think about it like this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, think about these things. Now, you can do that with all the other words, and they're true, right? Finally, brothers, whatever is honorable, think about these things. Or whatever is pure, think about these things. And each one of those will kind of preach on their own. But one of those, the first one, is whatever is true. Whatever is true, those are the things that we should think about. So it's important for Christians that we strive to not believe anything that is false, that we guard ourselves against being taken in by falsehood, that, that we question information in a certain way, and we're gonna get into that, what that paradigm needs to be, but we're gonna question information because it's important that I don't believe something that is false because it's part of who we are as Christians. And I'm tying this to the Christian life, that if we are going to be in Christ, then to be in Christ means that we're going to be someone who is dedicated not only to Christian truth, but truth. Blanket statement, truth, right? Those who are in Christ then should question dubious sources of truth. So let me just address what I see happening in our world. And, and that, that is this, this idea that there, there are millions of sources and that may be a little bit of a hyperbole, but I don't know that it is. Millions of sources of information out there. And I just, it's almost like a buffet. I can go up to it and I can pick my version of truth, remember? And it's what the biblical worldview is telling us right now is that we, we are not the biblical worldview, but, but the secular worldview right now, one of the dominant ones is truth is relative, right? Well, it's not. We're saying truth is absolute. And if truth is absolute, then I need to question the sources of truth. So what's happening now is we see lots of people in our world being given over to, giving into what common nomenclature has now called conspiracy theories, right? So why are we, why are we so susceptible to this? Well, the, the vast number of sources of information that are out there is one, are, are 
kind of fallback position being, I'm going to listen to people in my tribe and no one else is another. But just going on inside of our minds, our minds want gaps to be filled in for us. We want the answers to questions, all right? And you, you've heard me say, if you've been around me teaching long about the scriptures, I, I'll say, you know, there's, there's times that I want to know something the scripture doesn't tell me. And I have to be all right with the fact that scripture didn't tell me. That means God didn't need me to know it. <laughs> I don't need to know it because he didn't tell me, right? Well, the same is true in, in, that's the sacred. The same is true within the secular realm. There are things that I'm just not going to know, but my mind desperately wants to know. And so it used to be, that we used to just imagine all of these things, right? Our imagination would just kind of fill in the blanks, you know, black helicopters and, you know, aliens out in Roswell and, and whatever. Well, now all we gotta do is go to YouTube <laughs> and somebody can fill it in for us. All we gotta do is go to Facebook. Somebody will fill it in for us, right? And so this is why we're so, one of the reasons we're so susceptible to it is because our mind doesn't like to have blanks. We, and if we can't quite figure out what something means or why something is the way that it is. We, we want something to fill in those blanks and conspiracy theories do that. Ultimately, it's our nature to listen to and believe lies. Do you know that? Like your sin nature, your, your fallen self, not your redeemed self, but your, your fallen nature is, is wired, not by God, but by the enemy, our, the the father of this world, to, to believe lies. Listen, listen to what, so Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, right? This, who, by the way, was the source of truth in first century Israel, okay? Like this was the most well-respected group of, and it's not, well, in John 8, it's, it's not just Pharisees. This would have been a collection of scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees in Jerusalem, right? So the, these, this is like the upper echelon of truth keepers. And this is what Jesus says to him in John 8. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works, you were not doing your works your father did. They said, we were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I, can, uh, I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot, now listen to this. It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, Jesus looks at the keepers of truth in ancient Israel and says, you are not children of Abraham, you're children of the devil. And the devil is the father of lies and his, his words are lies and you've believed them. And you're, so what are their works then? Their works are, 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 are to do what the, not to do what God would want them to do, but to do what the enemy would want them to do. And, and he, he says, this is just who you are, right? Our sin nature wants to believe lies. We like to think of ourselves as being so smart, so wise. I do. It's a point of pride for me to the point of sin sometimes, okay? 
that, that I can get to the truth really quick, right? I can figure it out really, really quick. And there's times that I'll, I'll think I'm right and, and ultimately be proved to not be. Uh, and some of you are probably like that too. Now, here's, this, is what our, this is what our sin nature does. Our sin nature wants to get that information, even if it's a lie. Because before we come to Christ, that's who our, our father, Jesus is our fathers of the devil. Now, we're regenerate Christians, right? God's made us new. We're something else. And so we begin to then grow in Christ to where we start embracing the truth. Number three, credible sources for true information should also be tested, but we recognize God has given worldly authority to some. So, so it's going to be impossible for me not to wade into current waters a little bit on this. I'm going to try a little bit, but I'm just going to be honest with you folks. Somebody, somebody's going to watch this online and send me a bunch of emails. I am going to just, I think it's wise for a Christian to believe the CDC over some quack doctor on YouTube. That's not to say the CDC is always right. That's not to say that they're the authority and we're going to listen to them always, no matter what, okay? But if I'm faced with the option I am going to give more credibility to what this authority that God has established within his, or, his working order in this world. doesn't mean I'm not going to question them, but I'm going to believe them over some dude on you know, YouTube that's recording this stuff and putting it out. And look, anytime I make comments about you know, current medical situations in our world, People want to send me stuff. They want to be like, you really ought to watch what this guy has to say. And I'll go, no, I really don't. <laughs> number one, I don't have time. And number two, I'm just, I've decided to trust, you know, this, this other thing. So it's not, that, it's not that we shouldn't question credible news sources. It's not that we shouldn't question secular authorities. There are times these people in history have lied, okay? But we must recognize that, that God has established, even within the secular, certain positions of authority, and we ought to give more credibility to them than to something else, all right? Doesn't mean that they're always right and this is always wrong, but that's, that's just kind of a, a general practice for us as we think about how we're questioning the sources from which information comes, because we need to understand that the enemy is out there trying to lie to us and that our sin nature wants to believe it. Number, number three here, devotions to myths. This is all still under that first question of uh, why does it matter that Christians believe true things? Devotions to myths distract us from the truth in the pursuit of godliness. Paul in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, uh, his first letter to Timothy, mentions myths twice. So it's not that, I had somebody argue this with me one time. They were like, well, my conspiracy theories doesn't hurt anything. Um, well, there's direct warning in scripture that says that it does. Okay. First Timothy chapter one, as I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, this is verses three and four, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach in a different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So there's two charges here. Don't teach false doctrine and don't give yourself over to these just crazy things that take up all your time. 
And that's what I see people doing here. Like people get so focused on whatever it is. Again, I'm trying my best here. You get so focused on, on this thing that that's all they ever want to talk about and all they ever want to think about. And it's a distraction, right? Later in the book, 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather train yourself in godliness. So there's this, this juxtaposition in 1 Timothy, in Paul's mind at least, and here's what it is. That you can either be dedicated to nonsense. This is what the word silly means. You can be dedicated to this nonsense or you can be dedicated to godliness. You can't be dedicated to both. So your relationship with the truth, my relationship with the truth, it, is, it matters because it is keeping me from being devoted towards godliness. That if I'm devoting my time towards something that is not true, it is pulling me away from that which is true and is sacred. So there really is a, there really is a contradiction between both sound doctrine and myth in 1 Timothy 1 and between sanctification and myth in 1 Timothy 4. So yes, it matters if we believe that which is true or not. Number two, why does it matter that Christians say true things? So we're moving on from believing true things to now saying true things. Well, Christians, and we've already addressed the old self some, so let's continue in that path a little bit, right? But now we're talking about our actions, not just what we have a proclivity to want to believe or to believe based off of our old self, but now we're talking about our own actions. That I'm not just believing, I'm not just taking in false information, but now I'm saying it or, and by the way, I do believe this is so, sharing something on the internet is just like saying it out loud. I've had people say that. I've had people say, I'm not making this up. People will say, I just shared it on Facebook. That's not the same thing as me actually going around and telling other people. No, it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> it, is, it is identical, okay? Digital communication is communication, all right? It's as if you wrote it or as if you said it out loud. It's the same thing. We need to think about it like that, all right? So Christians must put the old self to death. It is the old self that wants to lie. The new self has to be dedicated to truth. In Ephesians chapter four, now I'm gonna skip some verses here for the sake of time, but starting in verse 17 down through 25, we read, now this I say in testifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So the Gentiles were all about lie, the futility of their minds, right? But that is not the way you learn Christ. I skipped a couple of verses. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So you notice the lying language there? Our self is deceitful. Our self is futility of mind. That's, that's what we were. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, having put away lies, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. So do you see this comparison that Paul makes? He says, in the one hand, there's lies of the old self. and the other hand, there is each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So there's falsehood in the old self and there's the embracing of truth. Christians, we must continually work to put away, to put off sin. And this is the process of sanctification. This is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. And part of that process is being able to recognize falsehood and not repeating falsehood. 
that we would know the difference between truth and error, and we would be people that ensure that the things that we say are true things, because we have put away falsehood, and we are following the commands of Scripture, and the command of Scripture is, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So listen, that, that's, that is clear biblical language. If you need clear biblical language for don't lie, I wouldn't think, I imagine, knowing my audience that I, like I know you, particularly my Wednesday night audience, you probably don't need a lot of clear biblical language to be told don't lie like that. We tell that to five-year-olds, right? But if you need clear biblical language for don't lie, your old self used to lie, your new self shouldn't, um, it's Ephesians 4 verse 25. Put away falsehood, speak the truth with his neighbor, all right? So, Why does it matter that Christians say true things? Because it is a part of our sanctification process. We say true things because it is part of becoming like Jesus. Number two, second reason why why it matters that Christians say true things is because biblical justice is rooted in truth. Biblical justice is rooted in truth. This idea of speaking the truth and only the truth, right? Like the vow, think about the justice system because we're gonna think in legal terms here in a minute. You know, people go in to the courtroom and you know, raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so if you God, right? Well, that, what are we say, What are we affirming? Even within this, our secular world, what are, we, what are we affirming? We're affirming that justice only takes place when the truth is known. Not falsehood, not lies, not accusations, but real truth. That when truth is known, then, then justice can take place. And, and biblical justice, which is justice according to the way that God sees it, not the way that man sees it, the way God sees it, is always rooted in truth. It's rooted in fact. It's not rooted in wild accusations. It's not rooted in conspiracy theories, which is why of the 10 commandments, you only, there's only 10 of them, right? Half of them are dedicated to our relationship with God, Half of them are dedicated to our relationship with one another. And one of the five that are dedicated to our relationship with one another is about speaking the truth. Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now that, there's, that's, false witness is is legal term, right? This is the idea that you're not going to say something untrue about your, that if your neighbor has been accused of something um, and or you're not going to accuse your neighbor of something they didn't do, or you're not going to say something if your neighbor is accused of something when you know that they didn't do it, right? You're able to, you're able to um, help remove that burden from them. But Exodus 20, this, this idea of don't bear false witness goes beyond certainly just the legal system that, that we should only want to say true things. And you ready? I'm really going to get into people's world right now. We should only say true things even if they're a politician. I think that's the greatest test of it right now in America. I think the greatest test of the ninth commandment is, do you say true things even against the other party? Whichever that is for you. And I don't ever make assumptions politically. Um, And I think the extremes on both sides have become very adept at saying very untrue things 
Politicians have been lied about on both sides of the aisle my entire life, probably your entire life. I think it has gotten a lot worse. I think it's gotten a lot more prevalent. Although I will say that if you go back and read some of the things from the early 1800s that were being written in newspapers about politicians, it'll make you blush. Like some of those things are worse than what gets said about our current politicians. But there's a reason I don't spend a lot of time on social media. Um, because people drag politics into it and I'm just there to see pictures of your kid's birthday party and I get tired of it. So I, I had to get off of it. Um, and, and so kind of here's my rule. Once I see somebody say something that's not true about somebody else politically, I just put it up and that keeps me off Facebook because you can only, I can only scroll for about 20 seconds uh, because we've just, we, we think it's okay. Like we think it's okay to bear false witness against someone if it like proves a political point. And it happened again, it's happening in the current administration. It happened against the, in the previous administration. It happened in the one against before that. And, and so, and so as far back as it goes, right? But if, if we really want God's will to be done in this world, it's going to require us to be people that say, I am not going to say something that is untrue about someone else regardless if I know that person. You wouldn't lie about, I imagine this is true, right? Hopefully a Christian wouldn't lie, wouldn't share a lie about somebody that's sitting next to you in this room. You wouldn't share a lie about somebody that lives next door to you in your neighborhood. But far too many Christians are willing to share a lie about somebody they don't know because they, they come from the other political party. And I think that that's an indictment against us. So we wanna be people who say true things. Number three, why does it matter that Christians say true things? Because a, trust, a trustworthy reputation is necessary for an effective gospel witness. Listen to the way that the author of this proverb says it in Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. You know what makes a good name? There's several things that contribute to a good name. This is a whole sermon unto itself. But you know one of the things that makes a good name? If you say things that are true. If you can be trusted with your information. There are times Christy will read something to me online that she, she read online. And my first question will be, who shared that? Because I've just learned not to trust some people. Some people, some people have damaged their name to the point where they're no, no longer a trustworthy person, right? A trustworthy, a, a trustworthy reputation is necessary for an effective gospel witness. The proverb says, it's better than great riches. It's better than silver or gold. For people to believe you as a person is better than having silver or gold. I'd rather be somebody that's trustworthy than be somebody that's wealthy, is what is really the way, way we need to understand this, this proverb. And if we're going to have the most important information we could ever communicate with someone is the gospel. But if, if they only know us as being somebody that shares you know, wild theories and and crazy political memes and all of this stuff. Like if that's all we're known for or being a gossip, I'm, the internet's not the only place this happens. I mean, this happens with people that aren't on the internet, right? Being somebody that gossips and shares stories that aren't true about people, right? That's what preachers used to preach about before there was the internet. It was always about gossip, you know, about the whispers. The Bible warns about that stuff too. And um, if we're gonna be known as that kind of person when it comes time to share gospel truth, man, they're not gonna listen to us because we've become somebody that's not worthy of listening to. So all of a sudden this stuff matters, right? 
because we want to be somebody that's worthy of listening to on important things. And if we're not worthy of listening to on unimportant things, we, we've damaged our reputation. Fourth, we walk in the spirit and emulate Christ by speaking the truth. John 14, 17 says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Part of being in Christ, part of walking it with the, the Holy Spirit uh, is that we are truth tellers. And so we remember are the temple of the Holy Spirit as Christians. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We uh, are those who are God's children in this world. And as such, we should be in the truth as he is truth. Third question, should Christians correct falsehood? And this is an interesting one to me because I've already shared with you what I do. And I just go back to the internet example, right? When I see somebody sharing something that's not true, I just turn it off. It's kind of a good check for me on how much time I'm spending online anyway. It really is. You ought to set that up as your own rule. You'll find yourself spending a whole lot less time on the internet. Um, and so I, but you'll notice what I didn't say. What I didn't say is I'll go in there and be like, that's wrong. Let me tell you the 13 reasons that's wrong, right? Number one, um, God didn't make me the internet police and I'm grateful for that, okay? I have no desire to, to police your Twitter account or your Instagram. I got no, like I got other things that I need to do with my time other than that. There are rare occasions. They're rare, but there are rare occasions where I have with either close friends or with people in our church sent a message and said, what you're sharing is not true. I just want you to know this. Like it, it, and, and I don't know really what the test for that is, but there are times where I've done that. But this is the question, right? Should we, anytime we see a lie, should we correct it? Every time we see a lie, none of the time, what should, what should our metric be? So first, Christians should be ever ready to speak the truth in love to one another. We, we need to be, we, we need to be ready to do that. Doesn't mean that the, the command is not to, say everything that's always on our mind. You'll know this when we read Ephesians 4. Let me read Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined together and held by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it has built itself up in love. So this is bookended by love. The middle section is all about growth and all about growing together. And Paul says, when you do have to speak the truth to one another, make sure you do it in love because here's the result of it, Right? But that doesn't mean that I share with everybody every single thing that's on my mind all the time, right? We've we, we got to have some balance there because if, if not, you're going to be that person that's always correcting everybody, okay? I don't think that's my place, even as a pastor of our church. I don't think that's my place. Always correct everything everybody ever says. And so it's probably also not your place. We need to be ready to do that. We need to be willing to do that when prompted by the Holy Spirit, when we feel like it's necessary, when we believe that it's going to come from Christian brotherly or sisterly love towards one another. We need to be ready to do it, particularly to one another. But I am definitely not going to be the guy out there just policing, well, you know, everybody on, on the internet. Number two under this, should Christians correct falsehood? Christians should gauge the effectiveness and necessity of being the truth police outside of the church. 
All right, inside of the church, we need to help one another. We need to really know. And so I think the further away we get from personal relationships, um, congregational relationships, the, the, the more we need to just be willing to recognize that not every argument needs our opinion. It, you're not always going to help. Um, and unfortunately, man, there, there's sometimes people think, man, every, every little thing needs my take, right? And your hot take doesn't necessarily always help. All right. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew seven, six, he says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now that's not to say we don't engage the outside world, but if, if every time you run across somebody, you hear somebody saying, so even somebody in your family, I mean, this, again, there are examples of this that go way beyond just the internet that, you know, you're sitting around as a family. I promise you, not everybody in your extended family agrees with you on everything. You think they're wrong on something. And if every time you got to go after them, it's a little bit like throwing, not calling them swine here. Okay. But Jesus is using this example for a reason. It's a little bit like throwing pearls into the pig pen is it really doing any good? We really need to ask ourselves, is, this, is, this, is there really an effectiveness to what I'm trying to do or even a necessity to do what I'm trying to do? So yes, we should correct falsehood, but it doesn't mean that we do it every time. <laughs> it doesn't mean that every moment of falsehood needs our instant input, right? Number four, this isn't a question but just more of some help. I'm gonna spend these last few minutes just, I hope maybe helping a little bit. And that is what kind of metric for evaluation and sharing truth claims can we have? So I'm just gonna tell you this, this is, I, I just, these are things that I think, right? When, when I see a claim of truth, whether it's online, whether it's on the news, uh, on some other, you know, form of information, you know, a newspaper, whatever it is, when I see a claim for truth, there, there are some questions that I will personally ask that helps me know whether I'm going to believe this or not, whether, I'm, whether I should share this or not, whether I should bring it up in conversation with somebody else or not, okay? The first is this. I mean, I got, I got five, five questions that I ask. The first, is the underlying event or fact that's being shared verifiable? Is it, is it really possible for me? Now we can't know anything beyond a shadow of a doubt. We can know it beyond a reasonable doubt, right? That, that's the test in court, right? Sometimes people say, you know, you gotta have facts beyond a shadow of a doubt. No, it's beyond a reasonable doubt because unless you were there and personally saw it and are sure you're not going crazy, then, then um, you, you can't know anything beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? Unless the word of God sharing it with us, something like that. Um, so, so can, can I, is, can I kind of independently verify that this is true? Now we live, again, I started with this. We live in, it's really a blessing and a curse. The internet is because we live in such a day now to where you can, you can almost do this in a matter of seconds. I tell people this sometimes when it comes to believing things on the internet, like Google really can be your friend. If you'll just type in really quick, did, you know, did this really happen? 
And you'll find some credible places that will tell you yes or, or no, okay? Now, I'm not getting into the debate over the fact checkers online. And all, that's not what this is about, okay? But you, you, you can find some credible information um, that, that will tell you if this is not. If it's not, well, then you don't need to go to the rest. If you can't verify that this is a fact, that that person actually said this, I see this all the time with like people's quotes, you know, this politician said this, you're gonna go, well, why don't you actually like post a news article or even a video of them saying it instead of a meme with it over their face? I don't believe any picture with writing over it. I don't believe it. Just like off the hand. I, I don't believe it because nine times out of 10, those things are false. Um, so I'll go and be like, did, you know, did Abraham Lincoln really say you can't believe everything you read on the internet? <laughs> no, he didn't, right? You can kind of verify that. So if that's the case, if you can't verify it, don't share it, don't tell it to people, don't post it with this. This is the Christian out, right? Scary if true. Um, what do you mean if true? Do some work and find out if it's true or not. And if it's not, or if you can't verify it is, don't share it, right? That's, that's number one. Number two, does the information accurately represent the entire story? Does the information accurately represent the entire story? Um, I'm already gotten in trouble, so I'll just keep getting in trouble. Um, I'm gonna wade into politics. I always try not to do this, but I think this is kind of, this isn't super political. A um, lot of people right now are, are blaming Joe Biden for gas prices. Um, Joe Biden may have to own a little bit of gas prices. I, I don't know. But can I tell you, Joe Biden stopping the construction of a pipeline that has never carried a single ounce of gas did not send gas prices as high as they currently are. All right, there, there are, there's a worldwide system at play that numerous factors, dozens probably of factors, uh, are, deal, deal with that, right? So to, to lump everything together on this one thing, because politically you think that like is a, gets you a point, right? It gets you an I told you so. That's always what we're looking for. We're always looking for these I told you so. If you think that politically gets you an I told you so, you probably ought to rein it back in. That, doesn't, that information doesn't accurately represent the entire story, okay? And so we, we got to be careful. We got to ask, is, is there more to this? I ask that as a pastor all the time. People come to me and share something with me, like personally. And I'll say, well, great, let's sit down and talk with it. Not just you and I, but with the other person too. Because you've found this, right? There's always, I tend to believe there's three, there's three sides to every story. There's her side, his side, and what actually happened. Okay? And you can, because everybody's got some, everybody's got some biases. Number three, is the, does this claim uh, represent opinion or fact? Am I, am, I, am I representing an opinion as if it is fact? That's the problem that we have. So is this just somebody's opinion that they are claiming is, is a fact? You always want to be careful with that. You're entitled to your opinion. Share, I think you're entitled to share your opinion. What I don't think you're entitled to do is share your opinion as if any other opinion is not Right? There's a difference between an opinion and a fact, and I only got five minutes, so I can't explain all that to you, but you understand, you're smart people, you understand that. Is this a claim of, is this claim representing opinion as if it were fact? Number four, is the claim fair to those who may view it differently? I already talked about the fact that we're, we, we tend to bear false witness. The further we get away from people, we tend to bear false witness for political points or something like that. Uh, this happens in the church world a lot, though. 
There, within doctrinal debates, and I know you probably don't keep up with this stuff. I do, I, and I don't keep up with it as well as some other people do. Um, but I have found social media, uh, particularly Twitter in this case, uh, is really, really bad. People are really bad there. Christians who should know better, pastors who should know better about representing someone else's position. And, and their claims aren't fair. It's just, it's just an unfair claim because you're, you're saying someone believes something that they don't actually believe. You're saying someone has said something you didn't actually say. Is that claim fair to those? And lastly, is does this claim communicate in a Christ-like manner? You want to know something? You can be right and still be wrong. And that may be the greatest lesson that some people hear today is you can, you can be right and still end up being wrong at the end of the day because you didn't speak the truth in love. You just said what you wanted to say. And anybody that doesn't like the way that you said it just needs to deal with it. And folks, that's, that is not Christ-like. And so if, if I can't answer, if I can't answer on all of those, I'm a, I'm not, I'm not going to move forward with it. I'm, I'm not going to believe this is true. I'm not going to represent it as true. I'm not going to tell it to somebody else, share it online. I'm not going to repeat it because it, it doesn't pass that test for me. Now you may end up, I probably have others too that I just do so, uh, un, subconsciously. You have some, but here's why I wanted to walk you through that just briefly. Um, it's amazing that I have to say this. And I'm not just saying with people in the room, there's people watching us on that here. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. Don't believe everything you see. Um, there's a lot of falsehood out there. And you need to have a well thought out plan for how you will determine what is true and what is not. And whether you ask all the same questions that I ask or you ask them in a little bit of a different way, it's fine. But know this, your how you interact with truth. That was the whole thing, right? This whole thing was called the Christian's relationship with truth. Your relationship with truth matters. It matters for your own godliness and it matters for your gospel witness. So think, think well. And, and when in doubt, this is, I think, a really good rule. When in doubt, don't repeat it. Don't share it. Don't like it. Don't if true, don't do that because it does more damage. You may not think it's doing any damage, but, but it is, and that, that's important. So I got a couple of minutes. So let me talk about, let me talk about a, a quit moving forward. Next week, we will have um, 6.30 in here. We'll have our Easter week worship service. Our, our elders are calling our whole church, if you're medically able, next Wednesday to fast together from, you know, basically sign up from when you get up to, um, I'm going to address this a little more on Sunday, but from the time you get up until we'll break the fast at the Lord's supper, it's not even all day fast. I'll go home and eat that night, but I'm going to break my fast at the Lord's table in here next week at six 30. Um, I'll invite you to do that as well. It's going to be a worship service. I'm actually going to preach. I don't always preach during that, that service, but I am going to preach this year and I'm kind of an abbreviated message on the cross thinking about the cross 
uh, together. We'll take the Lord's uh, Supper together. And so uh, we'll do that next, next Wednesday night at 6.30. For those of you that have kids, the only thing that's going to be happening for kids is preschool. We'll still have preschool, but we're going to invite our, our children and teenagers to be in here with us next week. So bring families in here with you. The week after that is spring break. Um, I need a little bit of time to reset because I'm going to be preparing something new. And so we're going to take off for spring break. We're not going to have anything on Wednesday nights. The only thing that may happen is the, the teenagers may do something since it's spring break. Um, but we're not going to have anything in here, uh, nothing for preschool, nothing for grade school kids uh, on April the 7th. Is that right? I think it's April the 7th. Okay. So the 31st, we're all in here for a, um, an Easter week, uh, focusing on the cross worship service. We take one week off. And then we'll be back on the 14th. And for four weeks on the 14th, I'm going to teach on spiritual gifts, how we're gifted, why God gifts us differently in the church, um, and, and then ending with how do, how do you know what your spiritual gift is and where can you put that into use, into practice within our congregation, okay? So this came out of our elder retreat. Um, they wanted me to teach on two different things, and so I'm doing kind of two mini-series. So a four-week series on that. We'll have a prayer week and then the, we'll finish off spring equip in May and the first part of June with a doctrinal series on the end times. Now don't get so, so excited. It's only going to be four weeks and it's very specific reason. They request, the elders requested I do this for this reason. When I finish Genesis in June, into June, we get into July, I'm going to preach the next series that I'm going to preach on Sunday mornings is going to be in First and Second Thessalonians. Some of you got really excited because you heard end times and you heard a series I was going to preach and you were thinking Revelation. Not yet, okay? I'm going to preach First and Second Thessalonians. But outside of Revelation, that, those two books deal with more end time themes than anything else in the New Testament, all right? So much so that there would be too much for me to try to work into because there's so many ways of thinking about this. So really, this is what this is going to be. This is going to be a survey. Those four weeks are going to be a survey about the varying ways the church historically has thought about the end times. So it's almost going to be a history of the end times uh, because I'm not going to have is kind of laying a foundation. So when I get up to preach it, I can primarily preach it from one particular perspective having already kind of dealt with some of the other perspectives. So four weeks on spiritual gifts, a prayer, a, a week, a prayer gathering, uh, and then four weeks on uh, end time, kind of a survey course on the end times. Uh, and that'll get us through, uh, that'll get us to the early summer. And then we'll announce what's happening in the summer. We're going to be doing something very different this summer. We were planning it for last summer and then COVID messed us up. So we'll, we'll, we'll announce that later. So Next week we're in here, the week after that we're not, we're back on uh, April the 14th uh, together, all right? Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this, these uh, uh, three months we've been able to spend talking about biblical worldview. I pray that we're seeing the world differently, that we're willing to introduce nuance and, and deep thinking uh, into how we both approach truth and facts in this world and then people and how we communicate it to them. Help us to be people, not only that stand on your truth, but people that are known for speaking truth. Uh, let us not give in to 
falsehoods of this world. We pray, guard us from uh, the lies of the enemy, we ask. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, those that join us online. Uh, those in the room, we certainly look forward to having you back next week for our Easter week service and then uh, two weeks after that for uh, spiritual gifts. That ought to be fun. Thank you for being here.